Wow. I love the presence of Jesus a lot. I'm always so rocked. He doesn't have to come like that, but he chooses to. He actually loves to dwell with his people. And I never, ever want to get used to that feeling. I love um, chatting with Michelle every time she shares testimonies and there's such a zeal and an excitement about Lord just doing things from the most simple to the most profound. And, and I love that. Like I feel like the Lord is just restoring a, a fresh joy to the church where, yes, we should be used to the supernatural. We should be used to seeing God move in our midst, but our hearts never, ever should become tame to that. It should never just be another Sunday. Another time in his presence, just a casual thing, but it's, it's wonderful. It's an incredible, incredible, let me say it like this, the greatest privilege of our lives that we get to encounter the person of Jesus. I'm so grateful that we aren't part of some kind of dead and stale religion where we're just about sticking it to the rules and hoping that we, you know, encounter a better time or a better day sometime in the future, but that we actually get to taste and see the one true living God. Like, do, do we catch that? And he actually loves to be with us. Man, that rocks me. We love your presence, Jesus. If you are new this morning, or if it's maybe you've only been here for one or two or three weeks, welcome. Um, we love Jesus at 24-7 Church, and um, we've really made it, I, don't, I, I can't even say our, our number one priority, because it's not even about a priority, it's, it's our everything to follow Him. It's our everything to pursue His presence, and uh, I think... Long before I even joined this church, what I love about this house is we gave up on just putting together a really good, slick, smooth service a long time ago, and we really are passionate about pursuing the one thing. We really are, uh, with, with all the zeal and passion of our hearts, after the man Jesus, and we refuse to settle for anything less than His glory in this room. And that's why sometimes we sing the same thing over and over again, just like they're doing in heaven. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's not that we just don't know any other songs. Um, it's that he's so good that it's like every time we sing line by line, it's like the first time we're seeing him in a fresh way and we just can't help but sing worthy. Can't help but sing better is just one day, one moment in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. And I just want to promise you, whether you've been here for years or an hour or two, that uh, we are going after Jesus and we'll never stop. And uh, if you would join us in on that and give your heart to this community and to what the Lord's doing, all that I can promise you with all the confidence in my heart is that you will be touched profoundly by the glory of God. And that the truth and the power of the gospel will touch your heart and your life in, in a way that you could never have imagined. And I really do believe that freedom and liberty is not just something that's going to be on our lips, something that we know a whole lot about, but what we're really beginning to see in the life of a church, in the life of the church, sorry, is, is a people that are truly set free by the power of the gospel. 
where we've not just heard the message, we've not just gotten used to sitting um, you know, in front of a pulpit and hearing a word every single week, but the Lord is actually moving and He's actually touching our hearts. And we're beginning to see incredible things happening in the church. Maybe if, this, if you've only ever been um, in this building since you've joined 24-7, we used to be in a little farmhouse uh, not too far from here for about, I think, three years, just over three years. And um, in that time... The Lord really formed a, and He still is, but, but I really feel like specifically in that time, he, he really formed a deep dependency in our hearts on His presence. He really formed a deep value for, for Him and Him alone, where all the other bells and whistles are really nice, nice to have, and it's a blessing and it's awesome. But if we have nothing else but His presence, then we actually have everything. Amen. And even though we've been blessed with this beautiful big space, which is incredible, and we've just been seeing more and more people come and encounter Jesus and be touched and set free by the gospel, um, that value still remains at the core of who we are as 24-7 church. We are a people dependent on Jesus. We are a people hungry for His presence. We really do want Him. We really do need Him. And I feel like we're in a time now as the church where the Lord is beginning to stir a little bit more, almost like this, this invitation to say, like, I want you to, to depend on me even more than what you knew possible. I believe that the Lord is stirring in our hearts a, 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 an invitation unto a greater dependency on the person of Jesus and His presence. And maybe if I could ask this, I'll ask it in two ways. Is your whole life placed in a position of dependency on the person of Jesus? Or let me say it this way, how much of our lives have we still not necessarily trusted Him with? How much do we still have in our court, in our control? How much are we still building? How much are we still depending on our own ability, our own strengths, our own giftings, our own ideas, and all that kind of stuff, and not necessarily trusting in His? That's not a heavy. That's me saying this morning that the Lord is inviting us into a deeper place of dependency on Him. And when we begin to do that, there's great joy in it because we get to see the glory of God and His presence and His power upon every single thing that we do. Amen? The Lord's just been stirring in my heart that more than ever, I want to posture my life in a place of weakness before Him. That in every way I want to be like, Lord, I'm weak, I'm nothing. I need you. I need your presence. Even in the things that I think I'm good at, or the things I think that I can do well, the things that come naturally, Lord, I'm weak and I need you. Come and touch me there. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? This is a really beautiful chapter. Paul's busy describing. I really love how he walks in such humility, but he does still acknowledge that he receives greatly from the Lord. Um, and he's busy talking about these revelations and these visions that he, that, that he gets and that he has. And he talks about the surpassing greatness of his revelations even. Like he's so confident in what the Lord has spoken to him. 
And uh, he talks about this thorn in his flesh that he has to prevent him from becoming conceited or, or arrogant, to actually keep him humble despite the, the magnitude of what the Lord is actually speaking over him and into his heart. And uh, he begins to describe this, this thorn in his flesh, this, this, you know, this thing in his life. And he says that he even pleaded with the Lord that it should leave him. At verse 9 it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We've been talking a lot we do talk a lot uh, as 24-7 Church about the grace of God. We are passionate about the grace of God. We are hyper-grace, and that's a good thing because grace is incredible. It's wild. Amen. The grace of God is a beautiful thing. What rocks me about this scripture is that there's actually something that Paul is struggling with in his heart and in his life. And rather than the Lord plucking him out of that or removing that from him, he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, if grace is simply a theological concept or an idea or something that we just have knowledge about, then that's not the best answer that he could have received in that moment. But if the grace of God is less about a, an idea or a concept or something that we just know about, but more about the person and the presence and the power of Jesus, then what he's saying to Paul is, my grace, my presence, and my power is sufficient for you. There is nothing that you would go through, experience, or need to endure that my grace is not more than enough to cover, to handle, and to strengthen you. See, we know a lot about, as the church, about grace that saves. But sometimes we struggle or we forget about the area where grace also strengthens. Grace also enables. Grace saved us from sin and from the power of death, but also enables us to live as Jesus lived, to walk as Jesus lived, to be like Him. So to say my grace is sufficient for you, I've even gone in my own heart like saying like, Lord, do I, do I believe that? Do I believe in my own heart, my own life? Like not just reading it on the page, as powerful as the scripture is, is, is the word actually anchored and cemented in my heart? Has it become a part of me that I can say, Jesus, your grace is sufficient for me? He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And listen to this, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If I could say this, weakness is like a magnet for the power of God on our lives. And let me just clarify what I mean by that. Through the lens of the gospel specifically, when we look at the, the message of the cross, what Jesus has actually done for us. That posture of weakness, which is acknowledging God is all sufficient. I have nothing in and of myself. It's in that place that our lives literally become like a magnet for His presence and His power upon our lives to equip us and enable us to do all that He's called us to do. And that's why Paul can say, I can boast all the more gladly. Because it's actually a joyful place to go, I can't do it. I don't have to build this thing. I don't have to, you know, necessarily work at this in my own strength. I don't have to strain and strive to make this thing happen, to be more like Jesus in any area of my life. But I can actually rest with joy and confidence knowing that His grace is sufficient and that the power of God will rest upon me to make me like Him and to accomplish all that He has uh, for my life. Amen. Amen. 
See, when we look at weakness through the lens of the gospel, it begins to stir faith in our hearts. Why faith? Faith because I realize that I'm not sufficient in and of myself. But I don't have to be because He is the all-sufficient one. He is able. He is all-powerful. And that place of faith in turn positions my life for the power of God to come upon me. And when, when I say that, I'm talking about His touch. We talk about the power of God. It's not just like, I don't know, a, a wave of something or just a feeling. It's actually His touch, His intimate touch upon our lives. And what happens when I position my life in that posture of weakness of saying like, Lord, it's all you, none of me. Come and touch me, everyone. I want my whole life to be touched by your presence and your power. It produces humility in our lives. Humility is a full and radical confidence in God's ability and not in my own. And when we're postured in humility, confidence actually comes from our lives because we're walking in the grace and the power of God. But if I could say this, when we look at weakness in the wrong um, lens, when we look at it through our own ability, and we focus on self-righteousness in our flesh, it's, it can produce one of two things, either passivity or arrogance. And let me explain that. If we, stay, if we stay focused on our own ability and what I'm able to bring to the table, and I'm not leaning on God in those areas, sometimes it can actually make us passive because we disqualify ourselves and go like, well, I, I can't do that. I don't have that ability. I, I don't have the strength or the, the gifting to be able to do that. So we just kind of take the back seat. Or on the other side, there's an arrogance that can maybe come up where we strive and strain to try and prove maybe to God, but more so, I think, to others to try to prove that we have something together, that we have something to offer, that, hey, I can do this thing, I can contribute, I can be a part of this. And really what happens is an emptiness because what we're doing is we're living from a place that's separate from the presence of, and power of Jesus. Where for the New Testament believer, if you're a son and a daughter of God, you need to know today that in everything that He's called you to do and in every single sphere and avenue of your life, the presence and power of Jesus is for you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. It is more than enough. There's a scripture in Hebrews 4. You can make a note of it. I'm just going to read it real quick. But it's in Hebrews 4 uh, from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And it's speaking about Jesus. And it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Don't you love that? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. See, it's really important for us to understand that at the core of the message of the gospel is the understanding that God did what man could not do. In fact, we, I'll, I'll quickly read, I'll flip there just for the sake of time, in Romans, uh, Romans 8. Um, Romans 8 from verse 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. At the core of the gospel is this understanding that God did what man could not do. It's why Paul said to the Galatians, like, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by works of the flesh? In other words, we didn't get this clean slate and, and, and this brand new life just to kind of start all over again and, and you know, a second opportunity to, to do everything on our own. But that actually, as a son and a daughter, you have been filled with the presence and the power of Jesus, which is there first and foremost for intimacy with the Lord, that He has made you one with Himself, that every single moment of every single day, you are a living, breathing, moving temple of the one true living God. Which means that every moment I get to hear Him, I get to feel Him. I get to watch what He's doing, listen to what He's saying, speak as He speaks, do as He does. And on the other end of that, as I'm intimate with the Lord, as I'm communing with Him, as His Word is filling my heart, He is transforming my inward man into His likeness. And what happens is that can't help but come out of you. The power of the gospel is so incredible, it, it will change your life when you give it the opportunity to do so. And that, that sounds a little bit weird, but I think it's a beautiful thing that the Lord gives us the choice and the ability to position our hearts to actually receive His power and His grace to touch our lives. That it's not just like He hits us and suddenly, you know, we just become Jesus robots, but He actually gives us the choice to pursue Him every single day. He actually gives us the choice to be able to surrender that struggle, that thing that I'm dealing with in my heart, the thing that I'm not able to press through in my life, whatever it may be. He gives us the opportunity and the choice, the privilege of choosing to lay that down at His feet, to say, Lord, I am weak, but You are strong. Let Your presence and Your power come and touch every part of my life. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. I really want every part of my life to be touched by the power of Jesus. just felt the Lord just even in this week just stirring such a hunger um, and there really is such a joy in it. I, I, I know that it feels, um, well, I, I hope it doesn't feel too weighty in how I'm communicating it, but I really do feel such a joy that there's, it's an invitation into the more of God. It's an invitation to say, like, every moment of every day is another opportunity for me to yield. And on the other side of yielding is His presence. On the other side of yielding is His grace, his grace that strengthens and empowers my life. See, it's often the, the parts of our lives that we, that we think we're doing really well in that we maybe have a strength in or a gifting in or whatever it may be, it's often those areas where we struggle the most to receive from the Lord. Because subconsciously, I don't think, well, I hope we wouldn't, you know, just 
say this as a statement and believe this, but I think subconsciously we believe that we don't need him to touch us there. We don't need his presence and his power or his grace there because I've actually got this area down. I'm actually doing okay here. So in times of prayer, that might be a part of my life that I don't submit to his feet, that I don't bring in. And the thing is that we need to understand that God will not build on man's foundation. He will not build upon what we are building. But the foundation of the gospel has to be laid, and on that he will build, with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes there has to be a a tearing down, so to speak, of the things and the walls and all of that that we've built up in our heart. And sometimes the word of the gospel, even in what I've shared now, can cut to the heart. And that, even that language is really important. That happened in, um, in Acts during Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit fell. Uh, they were filled with the presence and power of God and they began. Each person heard the gospel being preached in their own language. And uh, the people say, after Peter preaches, they say um, that it says that they were cut to the heart. And they say, brothers, what shall we do? That language, it doesn't say that their hearts were cut. It says that they were cut to the heart. In other words, this entire system and idea and way of thinking and way of believing that had been built, all the walls that had been established around the heart of man, the gospel comes and cuts through that to get to your heart. God is not interested in wounding your heart. That doesn't make any sense, right? He's after our hearts. He's after restoring wholeness and healing and His nature and His power in our hearts. So even... You know, we sing those songs like, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that's a beautiful thing. But I want to make sure, first and foremost, that his word would cut to my heart. That anything that is not of him, anything that I have built, any kind of strength or gifting that I've relied on in place of his grace, in place of his power, Lord, would you come and cut that from my life? And that does hurt. And I'll tell you why. Because those areas often become parts of our identity without us even realizing it. We put a lot of our identity in the things that we're able to do. So often those areas bringing them to Jesus and saying, not my will, not my strength, not my ability, but yours alone, is a little bit hard for us to do. It requires humility, but I promise you that on the other side of that uh, place of surrender, on the other side of saying like, Lord, I don't want to do this thing in my own strength. I don't want to see the fruit of my own labor. I want to see your presence and power in and through my life. That whatever it is I do, whether it is the the most insignificant and seemingly mundane thing that, that I do in my life to the things that I would consider to be the most significant, from point A to point B, all the way through, Lord, would you come and touch me? I want every part of my life to communicate and to minister the presence and power of Jesus. From a simple hello to sweeping the floor to preaching the gospel, whatever it may be. Let's be careful that we don't box areas that we think we need His grace for and others that we think we've got all together. That happens so subtly. It's never an intentional thing. Like, I'll just keep God out of that area, right? But the invitation that I feel is a humility to come before the Lord and just say, Lord, would you come and touch every part of my life? Even those areas, Lord, that I think I've got it all together, I lay that at your feet today. Lord, that, even that struggle in my heart that maybe you feel like you've been hiding away, can you lay that before him to let him touch you this morning? 
See, staying in a place of weakness and dependency on Jesus ensures that we don't make our own methods and our own plans for how the kingdom or how we think the kingdom should look and operate. When we build our own systems based on our own strengths and our own giftings, then we create a box or our own view of what the kingdom could look like. But staying in a place of weakness and dependency ensures that we're always following His voice. We're always following His grace. Which means that to accomplish one thing today might look different than what it did yesterday and tomorrow. But the point is that I'm following Him. Even one of my favorite stories is um, in the Old Testament, David restores the ark back to to Israel. And a couple days later, the the Philistines come to, to war against Israel. And he has beat them so many times that you'd think he would just be like, all right, come on, boys, rally up, let's take them down. But he doesn't. He, he inquires of the Lord, and he says, Lord, should we pursue them today? And the Lord says, yes, go for it. And they defeat them. And in that same story, it's like a week or so later, the Philistines come back. Now, he's just in the last few days received the word of the Lord on how to defeat them and to defeat them. Yet he still goes back again and says, Lord, what should we do? Do you want us to pursue him? And this is what's wild. The Lord says yes, but he gives him a completely different strategy on how to do it, even though the last one worked. Because it's not so much about the result or how to do something, but it's about positioning our lives in a place of going, your voice and your leadership matters most. So even though you might have said something that even worked in the past, I don't want to act out of presumption and go, well, I know God does things that way and just act out of, you know, well, out of presumption really and going, well, I'm sure this will work because it once worked. Instead of staying in a place of, Lord, what are you saying? Are you calling me into this place? And if you are, how are you calling me to do it? What do you want me to do? And really, this kind of lifestyle that I'm talking about is one that looks like the life Jesus modeled on on the earth. See, he was fully God, but he lived as fully man, which means he modeled, although fully God, he modeled a life of a son dependent on the Father. And in John chapter 5, he says these incredible things where he says, um, the son can do nothing other than what he sees the Father do. And the son will say nothing other than what he hears the Father saying. Isn't that incredible? Even Jesus, fully God, could humble himself to that extent and say, I will not speak unless I hear the Father speaking. I will not move unless I, hear, unless I see him doing that same thing. When I was just meditating on that this week, I uh, immediately felt uh, that line of, that's easier said than done, come up in my heart. And uh, I've said that to myself. I've even said that to people that I have discipled over the years. When you, It's like we bring a truth, but we almost try to numb the truth a little bit like, so it won't sting too much. And be like, oh, but it's easier said than done. You know, it's, it's a journey, brother. Like we're on a journey, you know. And a couple of weeks ago, I think two or three weeks ago, when I was um, just sharing on the steadfastness of Jesus, there was something I said about... Um, to replace distraction with devotion in our lives. And something that I emphasized that I felt the Lord speak to me was that there is more grace to be devoted than there is to distraction. And that, I really do believe, is such a powerful key for the church in this day. Um, That the fight is not to remain devoted. The fight is actually to distract yourself. There's more grace to be devoted. And this week, as I was meditating on this stuff and, and, and just you know, receiving this word from the Lord, and I, I heard that, like, come up in my heart, or even imagined that maybe some today would, would feel that. 
like, well, you know, talking about a life that's fully dependent on Jesus and not, uh, not speaking or doing anything that other than I hear him speak or do, that's easier said than done. And uh, to be honest with you, I actually, I really felt like uh, I grieved the Lord's heart in thinking that this week. And that sounds like such a heavy, but let me just explain. When we say that's easier said than done, um, I'm learning that that kind of language just shows that we still think that it has more to do with our ability than what it does uh, with Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And even in that moment, like it really hit me really hard. Um, but to say that's easier said than done, it was like the Lord was saying, like, do you, do you think that my, the cross wasn't enough? Do you think that the price that I paid only went so far? And from here on out, cheers, it's, it's all up to you. I know what we mean when we say things like it's easier said than done. But I really feel the zeal of the Lord to say, like, I don't want that attitude in my mind. I don't want that language in my heart because it's not of the Lord. Not even a little bit. See, through the lens of the gospel, I can boast about my weakness and my inability, but I don't stay there. If I stay there, then I know that I'm not letting the gospel touch my heart in that place. Weakness will stir faith in my heart to believe that Jesus can even when I can't. And in that place, I experience that His grace is sufficient for me. And as the church, we need to believe We need to be convinced, it has to be anchored in our hearts, that the the price that Jesus paid was not just enough, it was everything. There is absolutely nothing that we could go through or face that uh, that the price that Jesus paid would not cover and would not overcome. God did what man couldn't in order to restore man to his original design, which is total reliance and dependency on God. In Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, this is one of those fridge magnet scriptures, but it's really powerful. And if it is on your fridge, I hope it rocks your heart today. <laughs> uh, in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. When we talk about faith, faith, it's really important that we're clear on what that is. Faith is not some kind of mystical idea or concept. Faith is a life that is lived in total reliance, trust, and dependency on the person of God. It is a confidence, uh, a posture of the heart that says that God can when I can't. And simply because of that heart posture of faith, of going, you can, I can't, God uh, counts us as righteous. Simple. Amen? What Paul is saying here is like, it's no longer I that live because of the faith that I have in Jesus, because it's Him that, that lives in me. In other words, every single day, I'm posturing my life in a place of coming to the foot of the cross again and again to say, make sure that sucker doesn't resurrect himself and that I make sure I come alive in the resurrection of Jesus, right? 
in the Gospels. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. It says that. It doesn't just say take up your cross. It says take up his cross daily and follow me. Even there, it's such a key to know that the Lord knew that there'd be those little hiccups along the way when our flesh decides, well, we're going to try to take a little bit of control here. I'm getting a little bit comfortable. I can do this. I can handle this. I can take control of this area. And Jesus knew that that would happen. So he said, hey, those that want to follow me, deny yourself and daily take up your cross. Daily posture your lives in a place of uh, in a place of death, in, by faith, the death of Jesus, so that you can also be resurrected and raised to life in Him, to newness of life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, uh, if I try and do this in my own strength, the statement that my life is making is that His grace isn't sufficient for me. That I don't actually need it. And, and that might not even be a conscious thing, but it is what our life would communicate. And there's an invitation of a heart posture to stay in this place of humility to say that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So now my life is a response to the worthiness of Jesus. Every single day, because of that taking up my cross daily, every day I'm my heart is confronted with the message and the truth of the gospel and the power of the cross and the worthiness of Jesus. And because I confront my heart with that, every day my heart gets to be a response to what he's done. Every day, every moment, I'm responding to the worthiness of Jesus. I'm responding to the price that he paid. I'm responding to the grace that he has put upon my life. And I'm putting no confidence in anything that I'm able to do in my own strength. We need to understand that what qualifies us in the kingdom has got absolutely nothing to do with our own competence and our own ability. God is not looking for competent people. He's looking for yielded people. He's looking for people that would actually give up on themselves a little bit and go, it's all you, God. It's no longer I that live. I need the presence and power of Jesus on my life. In Philippians chapter 3, you can turn there with me. You can just write it down if you, if you don't have your Bible. But this is a really good scripture to meditate on. I'm going to wrap up shortly, I promise. I see Paul, he was a really, really zealous and incredibly religious guy um, that, that knew how far he had come in and of himself. He knew the accomplishments that he had um, in Galatians, he talks about, you know, in his time following and studying the law, that he even overtook people that were much older than him. He advanced beyond the years of uh, years beyond those who were even older than him in what he knew, what he understood, and what he carried. But when he met Jesus, everything flipped around. He realized that everything that he had built, though it had the language of God, though it, you know, had the law, all these kinds of things, he realized that everything that he had built in his life was entirely in his own strength. And the moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, his whole life actually came falling apart. And that happens often when we encounter Jesus. Everything that I've built comes tumbling down because it cannot stand in his glory. But when I'm stripped bare before him, when it's just me and him, I can stand in his presence. So in uh, Philippians chapter 3, 
Paul talks just a little bit about, um, you know, having confidence in the flesh and, and, and moving away from that. He says, um, we, we are the circumcision, this is verse 3, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love that. He says, circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's an incredible statement. Sometimes, can I just encourage us, we might read something uh, like that and go, that doesn't really sound that impressive. But in context with the culture that he lived in, this is like you are the best of the best in the day to be saying the things that he's saying here. Like we really need to understand that. He's not just talking about something small. He's talking about like in his, in that context, in that time, this was a really high standing that he would have been considered. He's a guy making decisions. He's making calls, putting people to death that are supposedly coming against the Lord, right? Really a powerful guy actually. Now he lists all of that, this life that he once lived, that he built for himself. Um, he, he says it's, it's confidence in the flesh. In other words, it was confidence in himself. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was blameless. As to zeal, I was a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. Like He's really confident in himself. But then he says this, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word knowing in the Greek is an experiential knowing. Head knowledge of Jesus won't, won't set you free. You need revelation. You need encounter. It's an experiential knowing, an intimacy that will mark and change your life forever. And Paul's saying, see, I built all of these things. I, on the outside, had it all together. I was a leader in my day. I was advancing beyond people that were much older than, much older than me, that had been doing this thing for much longer. I had many reasons to be confident. But when I saw him, when I saw him, I realized I had nothing. And that actually what he's saying, he says, um, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. This is really important. The things that we build in our lives, the things that we feel we can take credit for, that we're doing well in, that outside of the grace and the presence of power of, of Jesus, what that is actually doing in our life is creating lack, not bringing gain. That's why he says, I count all of that as loss, because actually all of that, though it seemed like it was godly, was actually distracting him from the person of Jesus that whole time. So when he saw him, he's like, all of these accolades, all of these accomplishments actually just produced lack in my life. It was nothing. Maybe people thought I was really impressive and great. But when I saw Jesus, there's no reason to have um, confidence in who I am. And that's not that's not like a self-hate thing. Like, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go home and hate yourself and, and love Jesus. I'm saying that it, it's about a dependency on Him. It's about this understanding that without Him, hear me this morning, I really am nothing without Jesus. And it's about every day positioning my life in a place that I make sure that I believe that. That every step that I take, every word that I speak, every, every decision, whatever it is, every part of my life, I want it to come in to the, um, the all-sufficiency of the person of Jesus. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's not just talking about a later time. That's talking about every day, experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus in my everyday life. That is the power of the gospel. That is the life that every single believer has been called and invited into um, in relationship with Jesus. I promise you, if there's anything that you hear today, hear this. Christianity is not a stale and boring life. It should never be marked by dryness or seasons of feeling like we just can't feel or hear God. Nine, I, I promise you, whenever we're in that space, it's because we are looking more at our own life, our own situations, and it becomes a hindrance to hear Him. It's not that He's not speaking, and it's not that He's not there. He put His Spirit inside of us. So the only thing that's able to flee his presence is my attention. Nothing else. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the highest heights, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I um, go to the outermost parts of the sea, even there, your spirit will lead me. Your right hand will uphold me. We've got to make sure that we are taking our eyes off of ourselves and off of our own lives and putting it on the beauty the worthy and the magnificence of Jesus. And I promise every single one of you this today, that when you do that, you will begin to see that there is something so much bigger for you than the life that you've imagined for yourself. And that sounds like such a feel-good prosperity one-liner, but I'm talking about our destiny in God. That if you have given your life to Jesus and you've invested your life in the local church and you're committed to seeing the glory and presence and power of Jesus established on the earth, then that means, buckle up, you've got an incredible life ahead of you. And I promise you, if you would keep looking at that, if you would keep focusing on that, Paul says, I will gladly, I'm going to go back there real quick. He says, I will gladly, um, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know about you, but I'm not in a place where I can maybe confidently say that that's in my heart, but I feel a hunger to say that I want this to be real in my life. That for the sake of Christ, I could say I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we posture our lives at the feet of Jesus... Joy begins to enter our hearts because we realize that He will enable us to do all that He's called us to do. And not for one single moment along the journey will my own ability be required of me. All He's looking for is my yes, my availability, my willingness to go, my willingness to do whatever He would say. But in that, His grace will be more than sufficient. Is that okay?
Can I just say this last thing about faith? I felt the Lord say to me this week that faith is not just a tool for obstacles in our lives, but it's the way of life for the believer. Often we feel like we need to stir up faith when there's the mountain so that we can say to the mountain, get out of here, you know. But what about when there's not a mountain? Are we living our lives positioned in faith and the all-sufficiency of Jesus in every single moment of my life, every day? There's joy in that place, I promise you. Like if you feel heavy in any kind of way, you need to shake that off. Like that's not the Lord. There's joy in surrender. In the world, surrender means you've lost. In the kingdom, surrender means great gain. To lose all that I have, but to gain Jesus. See, it'll be, it'll be very difficult to count the things in my life as loss if I don't understand the value of the person of Jesus. If I've not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then it will be really difficult to go like, well, yeah, I'll just throw all of this away for the idea that this is a better life. And that's not the Lord's heart for us. He really wants us to know Him, to encounter Him, to be rocked by His presence, to live a life of intimacy with Him, fully dependent on Him in every single way. It's His great joy to welcome us, to embrace us into His presence. That's why the language of Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10 is like, with confidence and boldness, we get to draw near to the throne of grace. To enter into the holy of holies. That's where his glory dwells. Says we can go with confidence. And again, that's because of his blood. Not because of my own ability. So no matter what you're going through. No matter what you're dealing with in your heart. No matter if you're still walking in sin. The invitation from Jesus is receive my blood. Receive my body. And you can boldly come into my presence. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. I love in the Passion Translation, it says, for the joy knowing that you would be his. Because the point of the gospel was that man would be reconciled or restored to the presence of God. This is for every single one of us. And my heart today is that not a single person would leave here um, without knowing that you are deeply valued by Jesus. And that whatever it is that you're journeying in your life right now, whatever you feel like you're carrying in your heart, there really is nothing that separates us from the love of God. There really is nothing anymore because of the blood of Jesus that separates us from His presence. There's nothing that we need to hide from Him, nothing that we need to try to figure out before I can step in, before I can come to Him. Every single aspect of the Christian life is to do with the all-sufficiency of Jesus and not my own ability, not my own shortcomings. I can boast in those things with joy because it means that His presence and His power will rest upon me. Amen. Would you stand with me? ask that we all just close our eyes, lift up our hands. When we lift up our hands, we're not reaching out to try and touch God. It's a, it's a posture of surrender. It's opening up my heart, opening up my life to say, Jesus, I receive you today. 
I receive your word. I, I, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. This is a dangerous prayer, but we welcome you to come and do what only you can do. I'm just going to pray over us just around what I shared this morning. And, and all I ask is that we would just open our hearts to receive from Jesus himself today. Only his presence, only his word can come and touch that, the, the deepest plates of our, hearts and, of our hearts and actually do something powerful that we can really leave here changed and transformed. He is able, he is worthy, he is all-powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Lord, as a family this morning, as your church, we just posture our hearts at your feet today, Lord. We posture our hearts in a place of surrender. And Lord, with joy in our hearts, we just say we put our dependency and our trust in you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us, Lord, to lay down the things that we have clung to, the things that we've built in our own strength, our giftings, our abilities, whatever it is, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us the grace to lay down every part of our lives at your feet. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that even in, in that place, even when it hurts a little bit, I pray, Lord, that your joy would flood our hearts this morning. That the joy of surrender, the joy of our salvation would fill our hearts afresh this morning, Lord. And I pray for a tangible touch of your presence, Holy Spirit. Lord, come and minister to the deepest places of our hearts today. Come and remove confidence in our own abilities, Lord. Come and strengthen the areas of our lives that have grown weary because we've been running at it alone. I ask this morning... Holy Spirit, for your grace to fill us afresh, Lord. I ask you for your mercy, Lord, your fresh mercy, your mercies and kindness that are new every day to wash over us right now, Lord. We yield to you, Jesus. It is the joy of our lives to surrender, Lord, that everything else we can count as lost because we have gained Christ. Yeah, Lord, I just bless every single person in this room, Lord. I thank you for the destiny upon their lives, upon 24-7 church, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we would be a people marked by your grace, a people marked by your presence and your power, a people transformed in the deepest place by your gospel, Lord. I thank you for freedom, Lord, to be ministered in the room right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, freedom in the room right now. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Like for some, you're going to feel like that sigh of relief. Like a weight just being lift, lifted off of your shoulders. The way he'll replace the strain of devotion with the grace to be devoted. He'll replace your zeal with his zeal. We love you, Jesus. 
Lord, we count it such a joy and honor to be your church. Lord, to be your sons and your daughters. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to a life of deep dependency in you, Jesus. A life that is marked by your grace, by your presence and your power. A life that demonstrates you in all that we do. Holy Spirit, I thank you that even as we leave today, Lord, that every person, every one of us would be profoundly more sensitive to your voice, to your perfect leadership over our lives, Lord, that even in the week, God, I thank you that there would be testimonies of hearing your voice, of seeing you move and following you, Jesus, and seeing your power demonstrated in and through our lives. I thank you, Lord, for a greater expression of freedom in the people of God today, Lord. Thank you that you are the one who liberates hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, that even when we can't, you can. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. Thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. Thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness this morning, Lord. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. 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 I want to encourage you. If you feel like the Lord is still moving on your heart, we